I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Paramang and Kayona people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. As long as the hospitality angle is being taken care of, as long as people are making you feel welcome and they greet you well, and as long as the sort of holistic angle is there, no one, no one minds like deeply waiting 10 minutes for their drink as long as they're, under, they're being taken care of as a human being. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Marshall King is one of the co-founders of Clever Little Taylor and Pink Moon Saloon located in Adelaide. If that doesn't keep me busy enough, together with his colleagues Dana White and Henry Holland, the trio have now created Brighter Later, drinks that enhance each moment. Hi, Marshall. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Before we get into the many roles and jobs that you have, can you tell me a little bit about how you got the hospo bug and what hooked you into the industry? Um, Yeah, I guess... uh I started like a lot of people uh, just taking it as a job during university, that old kind of chestnut. Um, And uh, I suppose just love for the industry kind of gradually took over, I think as it does for many people, um, to a point where around the time Clever Little Taylor opened and was like relatively successful fairly quickly, I just found that all my kind of stimulation, I suppose, and reward and all of those kind of things was actually coming through hospitality rather than like the academic side of things. Um, And yeah, so I ended up sort of just gradually pushing more and more into that space and you start to realise that that's maybe actually what your passion is. You know, you realise you're thinking about it at night and you're waking up with ideas and you're thinking about drinks that you made for people and, and all those kind of things. And that that's, yeah, that's kind of how it happened for me, I suppose. And then that sort of ends up being where you're at. Mm. So, Well, I'm glad it did. And you're right. When you finish hospitality, there's a long time that you, you kind of need to come down from all that adrenaline, isn't there? So you have a lot of time to kind of reflect on what a service was like. And like you said, what the drinks you made and the, and the people that you looked after. Yeah, that's, I suppose, part of the culture, isn't it? That um, there's not only the, the, the action, I suppose, during service, but there's this kind of constant conversation that you're having with, whether it's like your peers or um, people you work with, other people in the industry about what happened and what can be better and how you can make things better or more interesting. Um, you know, you don't want to be running the same service every night or the same drinks every night or you don't want to respond in the same way every night. And so I suppose there is this maybe like a little bit addictive, like culture around making things better all the time and what the what the customer experience is and all those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about your peers, you've been friends with uh, Dana and Henry for some time. I want to talk about, I mean, it's very important that you work with people that are capable of doing their jobs, but I think almost more importantly is uh, working with people that um, amuse you and you can have a laugh with and just, you know, you find your people. Tell me about how you guys kind of first met. You do. That's a really good question, actually. Um, So Dana and I actually met... We didn't meet at university, but we were in a, we shared a tutorial, and I actually my first impression of him was um, fairly poor, um, as sort of tends to happen with sometimes with friends. And then um, we were uh, I was working at a place called the Apothecary at the time, um, just on Hindley Street there, and about like four days after this tutorial um, that I'd been in. Um, Dana walked in, he was having a trial at the apothecary, and I was like, ah, oh, this guy, like whatever. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he ended up getting a job there, 
um, and I sort of already been there for a minute. And uh, look, pretty quickly, we just sort of became really tight. We sort of started, um, I don't know, like learning drinks together. And we were probably only about 21 at the time, I think. Um, so in that real sort of formative stage where everything's still quite special and magical about, you know, discovering, I don't know, off dry Riesling for the first time or discovering how you like to drink martinis or maybe drinking your first bottle of champagne. And so I guess we kind of had a lot of those formative experiences together um, and started talking about, you know, how maybe how we would do things or how we think things could be better. Um, and yeah, that's, um, that was almost, wow, that's like, you know, 18 or 19 years ago now. Um, and we're in, in one way or another, really, we've been like working together ever since. Um, and so that, that, you know, that's a nice story. We're still sitting here in the warehouse together now, like doing test batches of gin for brighter later, you know. Um, so it's become, I suppose, a bit of a, well, a lifelong friendship, which is really, which is really nice. Um, and Henry um, is actually now my brother-in-law um, because I, uh, he walked into Clever Little Taylor about eight years ago and um, we started chatting very similarly. We sort of bonded over, you know, things that we, you know, thought were beautiful or wines that we thought were excellent or cocktails or whatnot. Um, and uh, I also ended up falling in love with his sister. Uh, we, uh, we're, now, we're now married. Um, so uh, Henry's like now also a lifelong friend, but also a brother and brother-in-law, which is sort of pretty, kind of pretty amazing, I think as well. So we're a pretty, we're, we're a fairly tight knit group, as you can kind of tell. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. What a great story. I mean, I have to say they sound like wonderful people, but I don't know if you sound like a good mate. You first of all didn't like, you know, Dana to start with, and then you stole Henry's sister. <laughs> nah, look, I play it down. I didn't steal. Well, it's all with his blessing. We're all very happy together. We had dinner on Wednesday. <laughs> nah. uh, bonded for life. I always love hearing first impressions because they can be so incredibly wrong at the start or, or especially when you're young. Yeah, sometimes people just kind of give you the – give you the shits a bit, but then you realise that it's maybe because they're going to challenge you or maybe they make you feel a bit insecure because they're kind of quite confident or, you know, those kind of things. And then you end up kind of drawn to each other instead. So Yeah, totally. Or, or they might just be kind of quite like you and that kind of is unnerving as well. <laughs> so how did um, Clever Little Taylor and, and Pink Moon Saloon kind of come about? Uh, so they came about Clever Little Taylor first in kind of the very, very early days of what, like is now I suppose referred to as the Adelaide small bar scene but that was one of the first small bars um, that popped up we're just on Peel Street there and we actually celebrated our 10th birthday in April um, so that was with um, some other business partners which we um, have now moved on um, but Dana and I were there from day dot um, and then we went over a couple of about two years later, we were having quite a good time at Clever Little Taylor, so we were looking for other opportunities and um, our landlord at the time offered us this, uh, essentially a bin alley on uh, Lee Street, um, which uh, we were sort of, I think, silly enough at the time to take and we ended up building what is now Pink Moon Saloon uh, into, that, into that alley. Um, which, you know, turned out to be also like a beautiful experience. And they've, um, you know, we've been there at Pink Moon, which is only, you know, 100 metres across the road um, for about, I think it will be almost eight years in, uh, in November. So, um, yeah, they're our two little kind of home bases, I suppose. 
Yeah, that's that's so cool. And I can't imagine the amount of work it, it would have taken you to build those from the ground up. I have to say, you know, I, I was looking over the the menu and I it's so confident because I was like, yes, when I looked at it immediately and there was, I looked at um, Clever Little Taylor's kind of menu and I was just like, you know, you've got some really great little bar stacks on there, but it's not overdone and it's just so confident. And I was like, that's what you want. You want a place where you can go and drink great wines by the glass, great cocktails and, you know, just have some delicious snacks. But, you know, you don't need to have pages and pages of offerings. And and, and sometimes when you see that, you think, oh, God, you know, can they do all of these dishes so well? I Yeah, I do. I agree with you, actually. I sort of think, well, um, you know, what's missing in like the volume, like why is there so much and can you do it all equally? Are you kind of spreading yourself too thin? Um, and, you know, the idea of Clever Taylor always was really just a really relatable, elevated local bar. Um, and it sort of became a little bit more than that. But we ended up having, you know, we essentially buy the wine that we like to drink because that makes it really easy to talk to people about it. You're not sort of, you don't have to do anything contrived. Uh, and then we serve the snacks that we would like to eat with wine <laughs> you know that's like kind of that's like at, at its very core um that's what it is um and also you can be very consistent in that way as well you don't if you're you've, you've got a huge menu there's always things that are unavailable or you know if you're trying to do things that are too fancy above you know what maybe you can produce in a small space then maybe it's not kind of always going to be carried off or maybe you know on a night a certain person's not working maybe it's not like coming out looking the same and things like that so you sort of have to get i think to just kind of a, a manageable medium point there. Um, and then you can be really consistent over time and people can come back and see you like three years after they visited from Melbourne last time and, um, you know, still have a very similar and good experience, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. And and like you said, there's so many gr- great produce out there and, and especially being in Adelaide where you've got everything at your fingertips. I had to say, you know, that's a pretty significant wine list that you've got at Clever Little Taylor. Some really good local examples, but some beautiful champagne and things on there. So it's it's you definitely have good taste in what you want to drink. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I probably have to shout out to Henry at this point as well because since he's come into the business with us, a um, couple of years ago. The list was always, I thought, excellent, um, but he um, he's put a lot, a lot of time into that and I think we sort of decided maybe, you know, a year and a half ago, Clever Tail was always kind of an everything bar. Like, you can't you can have a great cocktail and you can't have a plate of food, you can't have a nice beer and that I think is all still true. Um, but the true kind of love, I think, and focus now at Clever Taylor is wine. Um, and Henry's, um, I think, done an amazing job sort of just bringing that list up from the sort of 100 bottles all up to about 200 bottles. And I think really well, you know, he's covered categories really well. And I think obviously there's a lot to offer in South Australia as well, but you don't just want to have South Australian wine. So you got to, you know, show, you know, that you're aware of everything else that's going on as well. Mm. Yeah, well, well, shout out to him because he's done a really good job and uh, my mouth was watering reading it. But I want to talk about gin because I'm a gin fanatic and I'm so excited to talk about your gins or have you talk about your gins. Tell me how Brighter Later came about. Tell me about the name and how did this kind of venture get started? Uh, Yeah, well, it's a little bit of a... I suppose really, it probably started about two years ago was the formation of the idea. Uh, And to be completely honest, it was obviously, that's probably, it's not a negative story, but that was probably quite a hard time for a lot of people in hospitality. And we were actually just sitting around our bars. I think we, we actually had 
the, the capacity limit at the time through COVID was like 14 people or something. Like it was just like, you know, we were just, we were basically sitting there going, there has to be another way that we can connect with people that's not basically waiting for them to walk through the bar. And we sort of, we started to really think very hard about that. And um, we wanted to uh, basically make things, produce things, but on, on a sort of a larger, more public scale than perhaps making someone a cocktail, pouring them a glass of wine. Um, and we just decided pretty quickly to license uh, the back kitchen area, which is um, now essentially defunct because we're just mostly cocktails at Pink Moon uh, for production. So to put a still in there uh, was the sort of like original idea. So we started experimenting uh, with recipes on a little test still. Um, and then, yeah, slowly, slowly we sort of started to um, I suppose, gather a more correct, you know, accurate idea of sort of what we were really aiming for. And that became, uh, that became brighter later, um, which I named, uh, it's yeah, another Nick Drake reference in our catalog as is obviously Pink Moon. Um, and we were sort of looking to, you know, naming something is quite difficult because it's, it's the name is kind of forever. And, you know, as simple as it might be, it can, um, you know, it projects a lot about what you're about. Um, and the core thing we really wanted to project was optimism. Um, and that kind of just rang really true. There was, and there still is, you know, there's a lot, you know, hospitality being hard, running bars can be hard, but drinking, well, well drinking gin, you know, those kind of things are, they're supposed to be, they're the good times, you know, and they're the optimistic times and they're the times when you, you know, I don't know, you sit down with your friend after you've been to the beach on holiday and, you know, you drink a gin and tonic or whatever. And those, those are the real kind of experiences, even more so sometimes than what's in the glass. And that's kind of what we wanted to, mm. well, what we wanted to say with that name, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it does. It's so funny because when I, I thought about why you named it that, and I thought about the time we just came through, I thought that that must have have to be something. I actually didn't Google it, so I didn't get the Nick Drake reference. But I did think, you know, th th that it had to do with optimism and looking on, on the sunnier side of life. So it really does communicate that. That's great. Oh, well, that's great. That we sort of cooked that up and you sort of got that. Do you know what I mean? That's Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And I want to talk about the two different gins. Now, you, you're working with a vacuum still, which is really cool. And like you said, choosing the right kind of equipment for the space that you're working in. First time I saw a vacuum still was at Key where Peter Gilmore was using one. And I used to refer to it as his Peter Gilmore's meth lab because I was like, what is that thing and what does it do? <laughs> yeah, it's not like, it's not particularly romantic. Um, but I'll, yeah, look, we, um, we've got two separate production processes, just so we're being super clear as well. Um, we do have a um, copper still um, that's not, uh, that we use up at Applewood in Gummaraka. So our core products were actually formulated. Um, on that still. Um, we've now got the vacuum still here at St. Helena Place, which is just in the CBD of Adelaide. Uh, and this is where, actually, as you um, called, uh, we're working on our special releases. Um, so we can run about 10 litres through here. Um, and the essentially special thing about this is that we can get the alcohol coming off at maybe about 30 degrees. So about room temperature, as opposed to in a more traditional still uh, that you'll be coming off, you know, 78 and hotter. Uh, so the idea essentially being that just by being small and being able to be controlled, we don't need to do a large, large volume. Uh, we can really lock in, lock in 
fresh flavors that would normally be that would be cooked essentially in a in a normal uh, traditional still um yeah that's what we're working on now yeah i was thinking that because i I mean i i'm not an expert on on gin production by any means and i thought look with something that is going to be you know not as high a temperature i imagine with wine you're getting more detail and getting kind of the pristine elements of those botanicals yeah, you're really hoping to. So, you know, really kind of obvious examples, I suppose, are things like cucumber. Like if you cook cucumber, it smells horrible. Like <laughs> everyone knows that or if you um, – but if perhaps if you can um, – through this method, you you might be able to see that you can capture maybe that really like nice green vegetal note without getting um, a sort of cooked, dirty note or flavour. Or it might be the difference, for instance, between um, you know putting an orange in the oven and cooking it sort of like a dessert, you know, those kind of you know rich, warm, round flavours, and getting a really sort of high-end, defined, fresh citrus um, aromat. That's kind of like, I suppose, the that's the aim, I suppose, um, through using that through using that cold distillation method. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool and, and exciting to hear what, what you're going to be doing with it as well. Tell me a little bit about the two gins you have, Astral Orchard and Marine Ultra. Astral Orchard, when I first read that, I thought that sounds like some kind of trip and something that I definitely want to take. <laughs> Yeah, we sort of like we wanted these. Uh, uh, I don't know, kind of evocative names for things, rather than a lot of things um, are a little bit like I don't know, maybe a bit too gin focused. I know it is gin, but you know what I mean. Wanted to kind of chuck a bit of a vision with the names, uh, make them a little bit playful, um, and so Astral Orchard became the name of our. Um, we called modern dry gin essentially um, a juniper focus. We lifted by citrus and a host of sort of other botanicals. This gin that we really made in development through the bars um, because we wanted a gin that was super versatile and that mixed really well. Um, and one thing that we sort of had noticed there are so many amazing Australian gins, um, but a lot of them are very, very bold and with a very high botanical content. Um, and so for this particular one, we actually wanted to almost like dial that back a little bit um, just so it can be really versatile and sit well in many different drinks. So, you know, we've got the advantage as well of having the bar. So we could run it through, you know, let's make a Negroni, let's make a Southside, let's make a, let's make martinis, let's, you know, and see over months and months where things were sticking out and where they weren't. Um, And hopefully that also translates outside of the bar to just a really user-friendly product on the other side of you, for instance, just order it from the website or, you know, you don't have to be a, you know, home mixologist to like really, like really enjoy what's going on there. Um, so that's the, that's the Astral Orchard and um, Marine Ultra, we wanted to go almost completely the other side of the spectrum and create something really savory, something really, it's salty, it's kind of umami, it's got a lot of uh, sort of herbal, bush, bushy kind of characteristics. Um, and just to make it really distinctive, I suppose, from the other product, but also maybe in a way like create something that really excited us as bartenders, I suppose. Um, and, you know, you wanted it to be very certain that if you were at a gin tasting and as you often are at wine tasting, sometimes, honestly, like everything just smells or tastes the same. Like we've all been to those tastings where everyone's like, oh, this one's different. We did this. And you're like, okay. Um, but, you know, this is very, this is distinctive. And um, 
also, you know, I think exciting because it's just, you know, you don't have to drink it in a martini. You can certainly have like a nice, almost like saline gin and tonic or gin and soda style. But also it's really where I've found it's had the most, the, the best reception, um, especially amongst industry is as that um, martini gin that's, you know, actually displaying some of those characteristics of a dirty martini, but it's super clean because, you know, just put, you know, just putting the old olive brine, you know, in it. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that, that one's, you know, been exciting to me. And I think the one that's kind of stood out a little bit as well. So mm, I absolutely love the Marine Ultra being somebody that is a quite a savory person. Um, I took that on holidays with me up to Queensland and I was on a, um, a sand island and I didn't have any olives with me at the time. And I was like, mm, and I, I served it with a light tonic, um, which I actually think really worked well. Whereas I don't, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of light tonics, but in this case I was like, oh, what am I going to garnish it with? And I felt like I wanted to garnish it with um, like an oyster shell. I didn't have any of those either, but I did actually go get a shell straight out of the ocean and dump it in my glass. My husband was like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's my garnish. And it was awesome. Hey, I think that's like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, you got that, like that natural salt, you know, to like, you know, really accentuate like what's going on there. So, and the light tonic as well. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's such, it is, it uh, is got a point of difference. Um, but like I said, it, it's very invoking. And, and I, even if you, if you look on your website with the kind of, I think it's sardines or the mussels that you've got there, it just makes you think, you know, what can I be eating and drinking with that? So, um, you know, the mind reels and that's exactly what you want people to do, isn't it? Think about like, oh, I want to eat this now and then I want to have a drink of that and yeah, I think um, I'm really glad you noticed that. I think we were, you know, you're putting together things for the website or, you know, you have to do photo shoots and all of this. And um, we just, there is a lot of imagery around that is kind of like, here's a bottle of gin and then there's some botanicals sort of like scattered around it and that's what the gin is. And like full respect to that, that's fine. But we just also, we just wanted to do something that, you know, it was a bit more like imaginative or powerful, I suppose, in terms of imagery. Uh, and that could, yeah, like evoke maybe just a fuller experience maybe than just what the gin itself is. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's, I suppose, what we're trying to portray with that. And the bowl of, bowl of spaghetti or something, <laughs> like, you know. Like. Yeah, I mean, they look, it really is evoking and it, it's, it's, even the cards and everything. I, I love, I love the packaging, but tell me a little bit about, you know, how you made decisions based on, on the labels because they're so pared back and it almost draws your attention more than if you had, say, you know, some bright colours and some crazy, you know, pictures on there. Because it is just black and white and it's so pared back, it really draws your attention. Yeah. I mean, that was a quite an early decision of ours. I think, like, especially being in and around bars for so long, you sort of realise that the back bar space is just, it's like a bit of an arms race. Like, it's like, who can have more colour or more gold foil? And because everyone in a way is trying to stand out and I totally understand that. And um, we sort of started experimenting with, you know, well, what would it look like if you actually just had, um, you know, a black and white, off-white and just text? Like, what would that, would that sort of fade into the background or, and what we sort of found, we had a few test labels and we put them up on the back at Clever Little Taylor and you sort of have a bit of a think about it. And I guess what we're really trying to understand is whether they maybe stood out more, even in, even in their minimalism. And we decided that that was actually, you know, that that was actually a really good 
approach. Um, and that we decided, yeah, just to go for that really paired back aesthetic. And I think they actually are standing out like quite nicely like that. So I, I agree with you. And I think sometimes when, when you have something that is, like you said, minimalist, it makes you really think, well, they've probably spent a lot of their time on what's inside the bottle rather than the fuss about kind of what it's packaged in. And I, I tend to think as well when I spend my money on something like how much of my money is going towards the bottle and the label and how much is just to the quality of what's inside. You know, some wine bottles that you buy out there, it can be up to, you know, $15 just for the bottle and the label and the glue and the wax and everything else. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose just like – you know, put the time and money into what's super important and, you know, a lot of a lot of great things and a lot of great brands really are actually just very simple. Like a lot of amazing global brands are just a typeface, you know. And so, you know, but it's like it's like what what is filling in around that that sort of becomes like really important. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I agree. Tell me a little bit about your consideration towards carbon neutral shipping because there's real kind of thought and um you know a, a focus on that on your website yeah i think it's you know these these are now things that like we kind of just can't ignore and having come through like i've been in hospitality for 20 years now and you know there's a lot of conversations going on around waste and you know closing the circle and all these things i think we had an opportunity you know if we started this brand 10 years ago i think those kind of things might have just been very like formative conversations. But now I think you can't really afford to not address those things from the very start. And so we kind of just, we kind of just could. And I think we had that opportunity. Uh, Dana uh, had some connection at 1% for the planet as well. And so we were like, why don't we just start it from the start um, where we can have all of those costs um, essentially built in and at least you know it's a small thing and we understand that we're selling a product and that involves consumption and waste um, but at least you could kind of have that in the conversation from the beginning um, and hopefully grow that as part of you know what you do for the future yeah I love that now in some of your um your kind of larger you know restaurant formats you're actually um packaging your gin in reusable containers is that right uh, yeah, we are. So it's been a little bit of a difficult one because, you know, it obviously involves a, um, you know, a structure where you have to, all these containers have to be returned. Otherwise, you, like, you're kind of defeating the point. And so what we're currently investigating, we're, we're doing it just within our key accounts in Adelaide currently. Um, so obviously, it's a lot less wasteful. You know, you just, you can buy 10 litres instead of um, that being 20 bottles that just essentially go straight in the bin. Um you know, you can get the 10 litre container um, and hopefully we can f find um, a perhaps a bladder format or something like that that is fully um, recyclable in the future um, or, or find, um, you know, perhaps someone with a better infrastructure that can um, help us to make this kind of like a cycle, I suppose, of out, in, back, clean, send out again. Um, but yeah, at the moment, that's just for our um, Adelaide accounts, basically because it's very manageable for us um, in a small in a small space to do that, and if someone wants starts wanting it in Melbourne or Sydney, we'll sort of we'll you know cross that bridge um, as well when we come to it. Hopefully, can kind of continue to offer that. Yeah, I think that's so great, and I have to say that ten liter container. I'm such a lush. I was like, oh god, I wouldn't mind that <laughs> in my house. <laughs> Maybe we'll put one on the website, and as long as you say, as long as you send it back when it's empty in a few weeks, um, 
you know, then we'll fill it up again. <laughs> that is way too tempting. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, being somebody that kind of co-owns bars. What are the kind of places that you tend to want to drink at? What do you look for in a, in a, in, in a good bar? Mm. It's a it's a funny question because I think the longer you go on as a bartender, the more you tend to want to just crave um, peace and quiet, and maybe at the front bar of a pub that's not very popular. Um, but but I do still, um, you know, I love, you know, I love having a great wine bar experience. I love you know going to a new city and finding a bar with small plates, and you know, you buy a bottle of Chardonnay to start, and um, you know, sort of move through the gears. I suppose. Um, I obviously, you know, I have a love for cocktails as well. It's been a very big part of my life, but I'd probably less seek out cocktail bars these days, although unless it's like someone, you know, an industry friend of mine's like, you just got to check out what they're doing here or whatever and um, do that. And, you know, I really do just enjoy having a dark ale and a Talisker at the Exeter, which is a pub you might know, but everyone knows in Adelaide, um, you know, sit there with my wife after dinner um, and have a bit of a quiet time. I love that as well. So, Yeah, it's all about having a balance, isn't it? There's there's always a time and place for, you know, going out and and having multiple plates and, and, you know, bar hopping around and there's definitely a time where you can just settle in and, and chill out. I definitely understand that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially with the cooler weather coming up, you know, you just get on those dark drinks. Oh, hibernate. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to talk about um, Pink Moon Saloon just a little bit because on the website it says there, we love good drinks, we love good technique and we live for great ice. <laughs> yeah, well, we do. I think um, – uh, look, I, like a lot of things, it's like with cooking, I suppose. Like once you, if you do the basics really right, like you can't go too far wrong in what you produce. Um, you know, if you know, if you basically understanding of how to make sauces, for instance, or whatever. And I think what we found us over time is that making drinks is very, very similar. If you have the right sort of basic structure from the start, if you have good ice, if you have good equipment, if you're thoughtful about what you put into the tin and how that comes out into the glass, um, then, you know, hopefully you can't go very wrong and, like, things do go wrong in um, high-volume bars because, you know, it's a, it's a intense space. Um, and we found at Pink Moon Saloon, we were just making more and more and more and more drinks and you just have to find more and more ways to make them faster but at a similar quality because you don't want to lose what's special about it and what, you know, what is essentially your brand and you don't want to walk in and be like, oh, because we have to make 20 mango daiquiris every 10 minutes that they're now, they're now not the thing that they were before. Um, so I suppose we're just, you know, without, you know, does anyone even read that on the menu? But like you try to just at least convey that you've, you, you're being thoughtful about that um, in what in what you do. So, yeah, I can. That's great because you know I I love a great bar, but I've been to a bar where I'm ordered a drink and I'm like I really need to order something while I wait for my drink because it's taking ages. And I'm like you know that's why I like gin and juice or something like that because you know that it's going to come pretty quick. Yeah, you can <laughs> just get it out. Yeah, get it out, get it into the hand, and then sort of worry about the rest later. And it can be it can be difficult, um, you know, in a high volume space. But I think as well, as long as as long as, long as the hospitality angle is being taken care of, as long as people are making you feel welcome and they greet you well, and 
you know, they're getting you some water while they're telling you that there might be a little bit of a weight on drinks and all those kind of things. Like I think as long as the sort of holistic angle is there, no one no one minds like deeply waiting 10 minutes for their drink as long as they're, under, they're being taken care of as a human being. Yeah, so very true and something that's kind of missed in a lot of, you know, a lot of places, unfortunately, but you're completely right. People want to see feel seen and they want to also feel cared for. But I love that little tagline about the ice because I can't believe how passionate uh, bartenders are about their ice. And I don't necessarily mean like- They are and they should be. <laughs> yeah, they are and they should be. Because it's the the thing, like, if you change one thing about the bar and you just put that party ice in there, that slushy stuff that you get at the- Dan Murphy's or whatever, you're suddenly dealing with a whole different situation, you know? Yeah, and I didn't realise that, like, not it's not just ice as in, like, ice art and creating all these beautiful spheres. It means just, like, the general ice that's going into a drink that you're shaking it on. They're so passionate about that. I love that. Everyday, every, everyday use. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, good. For sure. Tell me, what's a tonic gimlet? Oh, uh, so really the tonic gimlet is a fairly simple uh, kind of riff cocktail um, that is – uh, how did it come about? It came about because I tried tonic, um, made night tonic wine. They made like a Kina. Um, and they're, oh, like shout out to those guys. They're making some amazing stuff. But that was a particular product of theirs that um, a few years ago now, um, when I first got my hands on, I was like, oh, this is like, this is really something. And um, we, yeah, we'd, Gimlet's kind of gone through a phase where people have been asking for them, so we'd be making our own cordials a bit and a few little twists like that. Um, and that was just sort of, I don't know, that was just, it, it's a bit of a pink moon sort of philosophy or way we make drinks. I suppose we don't actually try and overwork things. If there's two good ideas and they kind of fit well together um, and it creates like a fresh, delicious, delicious drink, we'll just kind of like go for it. And so that's how that came about. Um, and of course, it's now made with the, Later, Astral Orchard, um, the Made Night Tonic wine, and our lime cordial in house, served on a nice big cube of ice, of course, and a little shave of lime. And yeah, that's been a sort of a house classic now, I would say, for probably three years. Mm, it's the first cocktail that really jumped out to me, and I was like, yes, that's all me right there. That's what I'd order if I walk straight into uh, into Pink Moon Saloon. <laughs> well, you've got to get into Pink Moon Saloon. <laughs> Clearly, I do. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Uh, Marshall, tell me if you only had three beverages that you could drink for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Well, this is the difficult desert island question, but, I mean, I've already given you a hint on one, and I think that combo – um, at the the, dark, the Cooper's Dark Ale with the Talisker um, at the Exeter. That's definitely one. Um, and then probably the cocktail that kind of got me into cocktails when I was a lot younger, which is the Sazerac or New York style Sazerac, which is a little, um, you know, spirit forward, um, half cognac, half rye whiskey uh, drink. That is still sort of, uh, when I do have a knockoff these days, that's probably the one I would kind of reach to. Um, yeah, and I've probably got to give myself a little plug and say bright later, Marine Ultra Martini for the third. Um, so clean, so crisp. So <laughs> Totally. I'd be disappointed if you didn't say that, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All three excellent drink choices, I have to say. You know, I really loved hearing about your story and I feel like these days everyone's got an opinion, everyone's got a podcast and everyone makes some kind of gin. But in your case, brighter later, is doing some really great things. It has a great place on the market. I'm thrilled to see it in a lot of, um, you know, I was in Adelaide not long ago and I, and I saw it on a few lists. So I think you guys are doing great things and um, it's been such a, a pleasure to hear a little bit more about it. 
Thank you. I really appreciate that. That honestly means a lot to me. So, um, yeah, thanks for those words and thanks for having me on. Well, I hope that we do get to see you uh, in in Adelaide sometime soon and uh, we can talk more about a tonic gimlet. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thanks, Shante. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.